Good morning, everybody. Okay. So, what a privilege to be up here with you on yet another holiday. <laughs> last, last time I had to dig a little, I found out that it was National Pigs in a Blanket Day, but today is a bona fide, real deal, greeting card holiday that I can mark off on my holiday sermon bingo card. So, happy Father's Day to all you fathers. See, that, that time, last time, when I talked about uh, Pigs in a Blanket Day, that's what we actually had for dinner that night. My, my daughter saw that picture, and that was it. We're, that's what we were having. So, <laughs> so today is Father's Day, you know, and, and I'm glad to see so many of you dads actually made it, because if you believe those greeting card companies and their $7.99 pieces of paper, then we're all supposed to be laying in a hammock, drinking lemonade all day, sleeping in a recliner, or going fishing by ourselves. And on Mother's Day, all you moms are supposed to get a beautiful breakfast in bed platter and then spend 12 hours in a bubble bath. Now, does anybody here have that going on on their holiday? If you do, can you have your kids talk to my kids? <laughs> now, I really wouldn't want it that way. I mean, it seems kind of strange on the day you celebrate your parenthood, your fatherhood or your motherhood, that that day you would live your life like you have no kids. You know, We all go on being dads even on Father's Day, right? That's the, that's the idea they're selling with those cards, though. Like, you know, on Father's Day, don't be a dad. Be just you by yourself. But that's not how it goes. And uh, so today, on Father's Day, what I'm going to do after, later, later on today is I get to go see my little girl dance in her first recital. And yes, aww. And then some of you, some of you I might, might have heard, Ugh. Because I've heard more ominous warnings about dance recitals from other dads than I did about getting my wisdom teeth pulled. You say you're getting your wisdom teeth pulled, and they're like, oh, you'll be fine. You say you're going to a dance recital, and they're like, ooh. (laughs) So I'm prepared. I know a little bit about what I'm getting into here, but I am really looking forward to those few minutes when my daughter is dancing and then some of my family members can give me a loving elbow when I fall asleep during the other dances, right? So looking forward to that. We don't, we don't stop being a dad on Father's Day. And today, uh, we're going to look at how we show our love to our Heavenly Father. And even though you know, we see in Genesis that God rested on the seventh day, we know that God didn't really take, doesn't really take any breaks from being our Father, does He? He's on duty all the time. Last week, we looked at verse 1 of John chapter, 1 John chapter 5. So if you want to turn to 1 John chapter 5, that's where we're going to be today, picking up where we left off. Last week, we looked at verse 1. And in verse 1, we see, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And so Pastor Rich talked about how 
Again, we need to be born of God. We need to be born again to become a new creation. Without that happening in our lives, without us trusting in Jesus and becoming born again, we're spiritually dead still. And he read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We receive so much from God when we're born again. We receive salvation, peace with God, the Holy Spirit, hope of heaven. So much, more than I can even, you know, this, more than I can talk about today that we receive when we're born again. Today we're going to talk about how we respond to what we've received, how we demonstrate our love for God in response to what He's done for us. And we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 today. Let's read them together. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. So we see this idea here, it's an interesting idea, of that, we, that we show our love to others by loving God. Now we've, I'd, like, I'd like to say that, that you know, I've got a new, new thing to show you today that you haven't seen before or haven't seen recently. But, you know, we're at John, 1 John chapter 5, and John has a habit of repeating himself a bit, doesn't he? You know, so we have previously looked at how uh, our obedience to God is how we show our love for him, that if we love God, we will obey him. In chapter 2, verses 3 and 6, for instance, we see 3 through 6, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So that's where we previously looked, and there's other instances of it throughout this book of 1 John, and of course throughout the whole Bible, where if we love God, we're going to obey God. That's how we should react to our love for God is by obeying him. Now, those verses talk about knowing God, if we, how we know that we've come to know God as we obey His commands. But it still applies to how we know that we love God, if we obey Him. Now, we can't love Him if we don't know Him, but if we do know Him and we love Him, we'll obey Him and we'll walk as Jesus did. Of course, Jesus was the only man who ever walked in complete obedience to God throughout His entire life. So... If we're talking about complete, perfect obedience, we're all out of luck. None of us can do it, right? We all sin and fall at times. But what we're really talking about is the pattern of our life. Is the pattern of our life a life of obedience to God, or is it a life of doing our own thing? Now, there's more about obeying God found throughout this letter. And overall, we've seen these major themes that we love God and we love people. That that's what God wants from us. He wants us to love him and love people. And John really stresses these things throughout the letter. Verse 2 says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Now, that's interesting because how we know we love the children of God is we love God. 
what, I can't love God and not love, the, and, and not love the children? Or loving God proves that I love the children? Is that what this is saying? Well, it's saying that if we really love God and obey His commands, that we will love the children of God. You can't do one without the other. You can't be obedient to God and love God and not carry out that command to love other people. Now, some people would like to think so, that you could love God and just you and God, that's it. I don't want to deal with any people. I just love God. But that's not the case. If we really love God, if God is really doing something in our life, then we should be loving other people. We've heard the opposite repeated, or the inverse, I should say, throughout it. If you love God, then you will love your brothers. Now, here you say, how you know you love your brothers is if you love God and obey Him. And likewise, if you hate your brother, you don't love God and you're not following God. So this evidence of love is in our obedience to God. Matthew chapter 22 When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we see how highly Jesus values the command to love your neighbor as yourself. He ranks it second only to loving God with all your heart mind and soul. So it's the second most important command and the only way that we can do this is if we're following the first. If we if we love God first, then we can love other people. They have to come in that order. You can't love others without loving God. You everybody in the world who would like to who doesn't know Jesus and just wants to spread peace and love, man, all over the world, they don't they don't really have that kind of love, the kind of love that we can only get from Jesus, that agape love where we put others ahead of ourselves. Yeah, sure, they can talk a good talk and they might be able to share some stuff and be really cool, but <laughs> to really love other people, all other people, not just the people we like, we need God's help for that. We need to love God first. We can't do it on our own. So if we do in response to the love that God first showed to us when Jesus came and died on the cross for us, when God gave His only Son for us, if we do respond to that by loving God, we'll love others because that's what God's commanded us to do and also because the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and will help us to love others. We'll do that work inside of us. Now, by loving God... And following what he says, we won't be able to help showing love to other believers. It'll be impossible for us not to show love to other believers and obey God at the same time. And also, if we are obeying God and following his commands just in our own life, you know, just not even, not even in how I obey God and what I do to other people, but how I obey God in my own life, that is a way to love other people. Because I won't be stumbling them. I won't be setting a bad example for them. In fact, I'll be encouraging them to follow God as well if I do what I'm supposed to do. So in that way, without even actively going and doing anything for someone else, which I also should do, I'm obeying God and I'm loving them by not tripping them up. Now we see in verse 3, 
This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. So John reiterates, to love God, we must obey God. And this is just further proof, and we see it throughout the Bible, that God doesn't see love as a feeling that we just have. God sees love as a decision and an action. So if we make the decision to love and follow God, then we need to decide to obey his commands as well. It's not just when we feel like it, not when we are just in a good mood or, or when everything's going great. We need to decide to follow God no matter what. Now, someone can gush on and on about how awesome God is, and I'm so blessed, and I love the Lord so much. But if we know that they go out and do all kinds of things that are contrary to what God's Word says after church is over, are we going to really believe how much they say they love God? Who are they fooling? Even if they talk all that good talk and then manage to keep their secret sin under wraps, they go out and do things that they shouldn't do, but we don't know about it. We see them on Sunday and everything, think everything's great, and they've got this hidden life. Even if they manage to keep it from all of us, can they keep that from God? No, God knows everything. Nothing's hidden from Him. Now, I'm not saying that every time we sin that God is saying, well, you don't really love me then. You're not obeying me. Now, again, we're talking about the, what's the pattern of our life. But God also, he knows who loves him. God knows who loves him. We're not doing this to prove it to God that we love him because he already knows who loves him. Think about after Peter denied Jesus three times, right, on the night he was betrayed, and then Jesus was resurrected and he, he restored Peter. He asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? And eventually Peter said, you know all things. You know that I love you. God already knows who loves him. He can see into our hearts. So we're not obeying God to prove our love in the sense that God is only going to know we love him if we obey him. God knows we love him if we do. But if we think we love him, and there's no proof of that in our life at all, if there's no obedience in our life to what God's word says, then we really need to re-examine ourselves and to try and figure out if we really are God's children, if we've really been born again. If we have no inclination to follow and obey, we've got no, no uh, pangs of our conscience when we do something that's against God's word, then we're in trouble. Now, of course, we all have our flesh to contend with. We have the world around us pushing us in, to go in the wrong direction. We all sin and we all need forgiveness. But as Pastor Rich said last week, if you don't care at all about doing what's right before God, there's a good chance you have never been born again. If you don't care at all. So if we're God's children and we love Him, obedience should follow. Now here's some further evidence of how much God values obedience. Some of you may be familiar with this story, the story of King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now, King Saul was commanded through the prophet Samuel by God to completely wipe out the Amalekites, leave nothing alive. God said, no, no animals, no people, kill everything. Because the Amalekites had, were, were facing judgment for what they had done to the Israelites on their way into the promised land. Now Saul took his army and he defeated them. Completely, like God said. 
And he killed everyone, like God said, except he left the king, King Agag, alive, and he left the livestock alive, the livestock that he was supposed to wipe out. So Samuel came to where Saul was, and he confronted him. And he says, what's this, what's this bleeding of sheep that I hear? And Saul said, well, I did obey the Lord. I just kept all this livestock, and we're going to make a big sacrifice to the Lord. Sounds great, right? Oh, I'm going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. I'm, I want to honor God. But here's what Samuel said to him, which is a message from God, not Samuel's own words. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Wow. And that was the beginning of the end for King Saul, and he would eventually be killed in battle, and David would replace him as king. And his family line wouldn't continue on as king either because of his sin of disobedience. So it's pretty clear how much God values obedience. Disobedience is rebellion caused by arrogance. What kind of arrogance? The arrogance that says we know better than God what we should and should not do. How far we should go, what we should be involved with, what we should watch. Any of the things that God says not to do and we say, no, maybe I can do a little of that. That's our disobedience, our arrogance to think that we know better than God. And yet we all do it to our own detriment at times, don't we? Partial obedience is still disobedience, as Saul proved here. And so often we think of commands, God's commands, you know, probably because of the Ten Commandments are mostly this. We think of God's commands as what not to do, right? Don't, you shall not this, you shall not that. But God is, His word is full of things that He tells us we should do as well. So it's not just avoiding sins that we shouldn't do. It's also avoiding the sin of not doing what God tells us to do. When we fail to do things we should, we're just as disobedient. And we can, we can disobey commands that God has given to all of us believers in his word. And we can disobey commands that God has given to each one of us individually. Now maybe... Like me, many of you maybe never have heard God speak directly to you like from a cloud telling you that you need to go to this and this address, talk to this person, and preach the gospel to them. Maybe you've never heard that. I mean, it doesn't happen to everybody. It, it is entirely possible, but maybe you haven't. But God definitely, totally puts things on every believer's heart that he wants them to do. And if you're listening to him, You'll, you'll hear it and you'll know that God wants you to do something for him. He has a mission for you in your life. And some of them are like lifelong missions and some of them are today missions, what God wants you to do today. And if you just ignore that and walk away from it and say, no, I'm too busy for that, I can't do that right now, then we're just as disobedient as if we did something that God told us directly in his word, thou shalt not do that. You know, we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit guiding us and do what God tells us to do and not let anything get in the way of that because to do otherwise is disobedient. We're not serving Him as we should. So 
So all of this got pretty heavy all of a sudden, didn't it? From the Father's Day jokes to all this talk about disobedience, you know? But the end of verse 3 should lighten it up a little bit. And his commands are not burdensome. God hasn't loaded us up with a bunch of commands to burden us with them. That was the Pharisees' thing. The Pharisees made hundreds of extra rules in addition to all of the Old Testament law, which is already pretty lengthy for anybody who's read through the first five books of the Bible. You know, there's a lot of laws in there. And then the Pharisees said, no, we can do better than that. And they added a bunch more rules to God's law, right? They thought that they had a better, uh, better system. And all it really did was it burdened the common people down with so many rules to follow. And it put the Pharisees as the ones who kept track of all these rules and were the only ones who supposedly could follow them. They put themselves up on a pedestal and put the common people down below them. They burdened them. So Jesus speaking to people, he's, his commands are not burdensome. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus doesn't want us to be burdened by extra commands or things that we don't need like the Pharisees were doing. You know, when I was trying to find pictures for this verse, there actually were a couple that had this verse superimposed over someone laying in a hammock. I will give you rest. But that's not, that's not really accurate at all. Because Jesus didn't say, I will give you rest and you'll never have to lift a finger again. It's pretty misguided, actually, to put that next to a guy laying in a hammock because he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That yoke still implies that we have work to do. It doesn't say my yoke is non-existent and my burden is nothing. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have jobs to do for God. But he's done all the heavy lifting. That's why it's an easy yoke and a burden that's light, is he's taken the weight of our sin off of us. He died on the cross to remove that from us. I don't know about all of you, but when I, when I heard about God's grace and how my way to heaven was not through my own works, but by what Jesus has done for me, I really felt an actual weight lift off my shoulders. I had been burdened down with my sin and my shame and, and trying to be good enough to please God and somehow make my way to heaven on my own. And Jesus took that off of me and set me free from it. But he didn't set me free to go wander around and do whatever. He set me free to follow him. As Paul said, the law acted as a tutor to the Jews to show them, I'll paraphrase here, that they could never receive salvation by their own righteousness. It was impossible. They couldn't keep the law perfectly. And so the law was a tutor to lead them to Jesus so that they would know that they needed a Savior. The commands for us now as new covenant believers are much simpler than the the commands of the law were. We don't have sacrifices to maintain. We don't have 
uh, cleanliness or avoiding certain foods and avoiding touching dead things and all of those kind of rules to follow as the Jews did. Everything that we're left to do boils down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's not to say that you know, we're, we're, we get rid of the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments, those are all, those are all in that, those two laws that Jesus said. It's still a challenge. You know, it's simpler. We don't have as many rules. We don't have the Pharisees made up rules. But it's still a challenge because we have our, our flesh and the world to contend with and the enemy. It's even more of a challenge to be joyfully obedient. Now, you've probably, a lot of you have seen this scenario, right? Uh, between siblings, okay, or, or cousins or children of any sort. You know, you've got two kids. One of them bothers the other one. The other one takes it up a notch, pulls their hair, gives them a whack, you know, does something that prompts parental interference and says, hey, you can't do that. That's not very nice. Now, you say sorry to your sister. And, you know, the responses may vary, but very often you're going to get something like, no, I will never say I'm sorry, ever. And then you start threatening things, you know, oh, if you don't say you're sorry, you're going to your room. If you don't say you're sorry, you're not getting dessert. If you don't say you're sorry, you can't watch that TV show you wanted to watch. And finally, an agreement is reached and you get the offending party going to the offended party and saying through gritted teeth, sorry. And then we as parents, for, you know, tired from the exhaustion we felt about all of this, we're, we're just like, okay, at least they said they're sorry, all right. Unless we're feeling really ambitious, and then we take it up to, no, you got to say it like you mean it. <laughs> and then we buy ourselves, you know, more pain and suffering. But... <laughs> But what I'm getting at here is this is you know, this isn't a lesson about forgiveness or, or apologizing, it's obedience. We told the kid to say sorry. We got them to say sorry. They obeyed in a way. But they didn't obey joyfully. They didn't obey because they wanted to. And inwardly, they're still disobeying because they don't really mean it. They're still rebelling. You know, and we can laugh because we've all seen that happen. But we're not much different as adults. You know, we all do sometimes do what we're supposed to, but inwardly we're rebelling against it. I can confess to you that every time, without fail, that I come to teach in here or do the festival or do some other thing that involves work for God, something I am glad to do and something that I believe God's called me to do and to do otherwise would be disobedient, some, at some point in the process of getting ready for that thing, I will let my flesh get the better of me and I will say to myself, why do I have to do this? I'm too busy trying to get my kids to say sorry to each other for crying out loud, you know? <laughs> and then I have to say, I'm sorry and mean it. And I do to God for letting my attitude get in that direction at all. Because it's a privilege to serve him. I'm thankful to serve him. 
God desires our, our obedience to be like our giving. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful obeyer as well when we're happy to obey him. Now another example, just to drive the point home, you, you get a slightly older kid and you give them a chore, right? Tell them, okay, it's your job to do the dishes. And this won't incriminate anyone in my house because I have a dishwasher and I'm the one who loads it. So it's not going to fall on anybody in particular, but this is an example, hypothetical situation. You tell a kid to do the dishes, you have to remind them three times to do the dishes, and then when they finally do the dishes, they're muttering to themselves and banging the dishes around and they break a couple of plates. But hey, they did the dishes, right? What an obedient kid. But we're the same way. We shouldn't treat it that way. We should treat obeying God as a privilege. And we can also know with confidence that everything God tells us to do or not to do, he's telling us for our good. He wants what's best for us. And we should never uh, liken serving God to uh, like doing him a favor that he's going to pay us back for later at all. You know, but the truth of the matter is, though it's not like that, when we obey God, we are blessed by it. Not because God has to pay us back, but because that's just the natural byproduct of doing things God's way is that we will be blessed. Because His way is the best way. If you do things the best way, it's going to work out best for you. You know, unlike Google Maps or whatever GPS you have in your car or whatever, God sees everything that we're going to encounter as we go through life ahead of us. And he sees eternity beyond that. And he shows us the best way to go. It's not always the fastest or the easiest or what we would say is the most efficient at all. But it's the best way. The best way for us to go to follow him. When we disobey him, we can get way off course in a hurry and will have disastrous results. We've never been promised that the way that we go when we follow God is going to be problem-free. In fact, we're promised that we will have trouble when we follow God. But we can trust that God knows what's best for us, He knows the best way for us to go, and that He's going to go with us as we go. And that's good enough for us, right? It's only by allowing God to use His shepherd's rod and staff to direct us that we get to the still waters and the green pastures, right? As we see in Psalm 23. If we, like rebellious sheep, like get, get nudged with the rod and staff and then we take off, we're not going to get to where God wants to take us, the good place. One more example from parenthood. Bedtime. And my two girls, we've got a whole slate of things that we need to do all in a row to get ready for bed, right? You got bath, bath time, brush your teeth, uh, get your lotion, brush your hair, put your pajamas on, read your stories, go to bed, right? And very occasionally, all those things are done happily. You know, everyone has a good time playing together in the bath, and we have a nice toothbrushing time, and then we go down the hall, and everyone's just thrilled to get their jammies on and we read some nice stories and we go to bed. But more often than not, one kid or the other 
uh, fights one stage of this process, right? They don't want to brush their teeth, or they don't want to get out of the bath, or they don't want to put their pajamas on, or something, right? My older daughter, sweet little child that she is, I love her to death, but she, at bedtime, can be pretty tough. And sometimes she will buck every step of that process and fight tooth and nail. And it's mostly my wife who has to deal with it because I'm the story guy. I'm coming in at the end here, you know. But <laughs> she bears the brunt of it, you know. But uh, I just hear it from downstairs, you know, as I'm cleaning up the dishes and my wife's trying to get them ready for bed. I hear, like, the yelling and the screaming, and I'm like, oh, boy, it's going to be one of those nights. And uh, by the time you get to the end of it, this child who's been refusing to obey anything that we've told her to do, things that she needs to do, things that are for her own good, do you think she's happy? Do you think she's uh, feeling great? Do you think she's uh, satisfied with the situation? No, she's, she's miserable. She's exhausted. She's in tears because she's been fighting her parents every step of the way, her parents who love her and want what's best for her. And she may even go to bed without her stories because she's just too beside herself. And so we've missed my part, the fun part. You know, <laughs> We've missed that because she couldn't obey. That's what, that's what happens when we disobey. We're not going to get what we want out of it, even what we think we're going to get out of disobeying. We're going to end up miserable. God wants what's best for us, and, and if we follow him, contrary to what the world says, it actually results in a lot of fun stuff happening, too. Mm-hmm. You know, all of you guys who have done the Festival of Hope, is that a blast or what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a lot of work, and it's a blast. And when we do it, we're doing something for God. We're doing something to preach the gospel to kids. That's my best example of just how fun obeying can be when we step up and serve. Everything goes better when we're obedient. It's not always easy, but it's easier on us because God doesn't want us to have it hard on us. He wants us to follow Him, and it's going to be easier for us in the long run. It's not always going to be easy, but it's going to be easier on us. We won't, we won't wear ourselves out when we're walking with Him, and He's there to help us. And one more reason that we should obey God We can never begin to repay Jesus for what he's done on the cross, but for what he's done for us, isn't following and listening and obeying him the least we can do? For all that he's given us, can we do what he says, which is all for our own good anyway? You know, it's it's like... It should be very easy. If we didn't have these sinful bodies that we live in, then it would be easy because everything Jesus tells us is for our own good. And he's so good to us. We we should follow him. Spurgeon said about this, the obedience which God's children yield to him must be loving obedience. Don't go about serving God as slaves to their taskmaster's toil, but run in the way of his commands because it is your father's way. Yield your bodies as instruments of righteousness because righteousness is your Father's will. 
And his will should be the will of his child. You know, I think about on Father's Day, you know, all the things that I do as a dad because my dad taught them to me, right? And so, you know, I'm not like a carbon copy of my dad, but I, you know, take the things I've learned from him and I, and I put them into the way I raise my kids, some of them. And, and I think about how, like, in that, I'm a reflection of him. And as children of God, we should be a reflection of our father in the same way. Maybe, you, maybe your dad didn't, I mean, maybe you didn't have the same situation as I did and your dad didn't teach you a lot of good stuff, but our Heavenly Father is teaching us, every, teaches, teaches us everything we need to know. And so if we obey and follow Him and do things His way, we're a reflection of Him. We're His children. When we're adopted into God's family, we receive so much that we don't deserve as His children. So to show our love to Him... And to those who he's told us to love, which is everyone, and especially each other here, we need to obey him. And thanks be to God, we're not left on our own to accomplish this on our own strength. But we have his help to do all the things that he's asked us to do. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful that you are our father. And that you're such a good father to us. And for everything you've done for us and given us. We just thank you and we praise you. We thank you for your word and for your commands. We thank you that you always have what's best for us in mind, everywhere that you lead us and everything that you tell us to do. We just confess that we are disobedient at times. We've done our own thing and gone our own way, and we've even had bad attitudes when we do do the right thing, and we pray, Lord, that you just forgive us for that. And help us to be more like Jesus and be joyfully obedient to everything you call us to. For anyone listening who isn't your child, Lord, who wants to be, it's, it's very simple. If that's you, you just need to trust and believe in Jesus. You turn to him and you say, I need a Savior. Please forgive me of my sins and please be my Savior, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And if that's, that's all it takes to trust and receive Jesus as your Savior, and then you'll be a child of God. And I pray that for anyone who doesn't know you in that way, Lord, that they would turn to you now. For the rest of us, Lord, for those of us who are your children, we just praise you and we thank you. We call you Abba, Father, today, and we thank you for that privilege and that right to do that. And we just ask you to help us to obey you, help us to love you more, help us to be more thankful for everything you've given us and to just walk with you each step of the way. And we thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.